This is The Space Shot, episode 59 for July 12th, 2017. Inflatable space stations and Telstar part 3. Hey everyone, welcome to The Space Shot, your daily space history, pop culture, and news fix. I'm John Mulnix. Before I jump into more discussion about Telstar, I want to mention two launches that happened on July 12th. On this day in 2001, the space shuttle Atlantis launched on an ISS assembly mission that would last just under 13 days. Also on this day in 2006, the Genesis-1 experimental space habitat, which was built by Bigelow Aerospace, was launched by Russia. Genesis-1 tested some of the systems that are in use for the beam module at the International Space Station. The beam, or Bigelow Expandable Activity Module, is undergoing a multi-year test to examine the feasibility of using expandable modules in spacecraft and space station construction. An expandable module allows for more astronaut living space since the modules don't have to be confined to the size of the protective payload fairing during launch. Genesis 1 is currently in orbit and is expected to re-enter the atmosphere in the next two years. Now, let's get back to Telstar. Yesterday we learned about some of the cultural highlights of the first broadcast made possible by Telstar. Today we're shifting into the political highlights. The launch of Telstar came at the height of the space race, with the United States moving to catch up to the early Soviet achievements in space. Naturally, showcasing American astronauts and space complexes to the world was a way to counter the secretive and obfuscated world of Soviet spaceflight. The Telstar launch also came at a time of increased tensions between the two superpowers due to a recent round of atmospheric nuclear weapons testing. The program shifted to President Kennedy's press conference right after showing viewers the Cubs-Phillies game that I mentioned yesterday. Here are a few excerpts from Kennedy's remarks. Mr. President, the Russians appear to uh, insist on being the last ones to conduct nuclear tests because we were the first. Uh, Would you see any basis for hope that there could be an agreement on a test ban reached after they finish their next series of tests? Well, the tests that we carried out were due to the uh, breach of the moratorium by the Soviet Union uh, last uh, fall. We will have to uh, make an analysis of their tests and see whether they present a uh, further risk to our security. This constant uh, pursuit, uh, everyone desiring to be lost, of course, increases the danger for the human race. We are very reluctant to test. We will not test again unless we are forced to uh, because our security is threatened and because as a result of new Soviet tests, uh, we find ourselves unable to meet our commitments to our own people and those who are allied with us. We will therefore have to wait. I'm sorry the Soviet Union is testing. They tested They broke the agreement, tested in last fall. We tested in response. Now they carry out another series of tests, and uh, the world uh, plunges deeper into uh, uncertainty. The questions asked during this press conference came a few weeks after the nuclear tests that I spoke about in episode 56. One of these tests, the Starfish Prime event, ultimately contributed to the failure of Telstar and other satellites in orbit at that time. The radiation that was generated from the massive Starfish Prime explosion stayed in the Van Allen radiation belts, thereby enhancing the already damaging effects that natural radiation has on spacecraft. Luckily, these tests didn't pose a threat to human spaceflights that were taking place at the time, 
since these flights were at lower orbits than the Telstar satellite. American astronauts John Glenn and Wally Schirra both spoke about the American space program during this broadcast. The successes and failures of these missions would be publicly visible in stark contrast to the messages that were carefully crafted by the Soviet government for their space program. Here's the segment with Glenn and Schirra. This is Cape Canaveral, where Telstar has now come full circle, for it was from here that she was launched 13 days ago and now is transmitting pictures sent from her port of embarkation. At Mercury Control, we'd like you to meet this country's scarcely ancient but orbital pioneer, Colonel John Glenn. By now, we have proven that man can perform useful tasks in space. We have also begun to use man as a scientific observer during these flights. The manned flights of today, however, are transitional. They're evolutionary, looking forward to the future. And next year, we should have our full one-day-long missions up. Beyond that, we're looking forward to Project Gemini, a two-man craft, which can stay in orbit for periods of up to two weeks. Beyond that, of course, our three-man project of Project Apollo for the moon landing. And Apollo will take us to the moon and back. With communication satellites, such as we're using today, Live coverage and the information that we gain on these flights can be shared with all of you on an international basis. I would like to introduce you now to our next man in space, Commander Wally Shira. Here at Hangar S in the White Room, we're working on the spacecraft for my flight. The flight plan calls for up to six orbits, nine hours in space. The map plot in Mercury Control shows that we've shifted our primary recovery area from the Atlantic to the Pacific, near Midway Island. We have made a number of changes in equipment and quite a few changes in the control circuits. We've installed one switch, for example, to change the high thruster usage, which we've had trouble with in the past, to turn it off while in orbit. In addition, man can control experiments in space. We've removed the optical components of the periscope and installed an ultraviolet device and camera to photograph the air glow layer above the horizon. These photographs will help the world scientists get information about solar energy in our atmosphere and learn more about our universe. John Glenn wouldn't go on to fly again until his historic return to flight on the shuttle Discovery in 1998. Shira went on to fly one flight each in Project Mercury Jiminy and Apollo. Tomorrow, the final flight of the Falcon 1. Thank you all for listening to the show. Producing a daily podcast takes a lot of time, and I would love if you could take just a moment to leave a rating or review in Apple Podcasts and let me know what you think. Share the podcast with your friends on Instagram and Twitter, and find me at John Molnix on pretty much every social media site. Subscribe to the podcast today and share it with your friends and family. I'm John Molnix, and I'll catch you on the flip side.